Welcome to Rising to the Top, Lessons in Leadership, brought to you by Columbia University's Career Design Lab. In this podcast, we interview senior industry leaders who share the secrets of their success and reveal pivotal moments that impacted their career paths. Come listen as they shed light on obstacles they overcame as well as wins they achieved. My name is Nicole Arndt, and I'll be your host for today in our interview with Bill Treasurer. What I have found over time, even you know today in my coaching work, if they narrow it into like two words, they're much more likely to take action on the item than if they're thinking about all the different things that they need to do to remedy this situation. If they could just get it focused on the two things. And so I decided to codify that. And, I, and it took me about 10 years, by the way, to codify these two-word lessons that I think are most essential for a person to not just become a leader, but to stay a leader. Bill is a Chief Encouragement Officer at Giant Leap Consulting, an evangelist for courage, a writer, speaker, consultant, and father of three. He is on a mission to build workplace courage and inspire fantastic results, and he has just published his new book, Leadership Two Words at a Time, Simple Truths for Leading Complicated People. Bill, I am so excited to be here with you today. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm looking forward to it, Nicole, and I'm really excited to be able to speak with you and all the good folks at Columbia, so it's great to be here. We're very fortunate to have you, and I want to spend some time talking about your book today, Leadership Two Words at a Time. I recently watched the video that you sent of your high diving days, Um, you know, and, and in researching you, I saw that you actually have a fear of heights. What would inspire you to do that? (laughs) <laughs> well, it, you know, so it's a, it's the theater of Bill Treasurer, right? The theater of my business is that I used to be a professional high diver, diving from heights that scale to over 100 feet, traveling at speeds in excess of 50 miles an hour, hitting a small pool that was only 10 feet deep. And really, Nicole, the instigation of that was fear, was fear. I am a, a person who's afraid of heights. I'm still afraid of heights. Um but my little sport, I was a springboard diver, and I was good on the low board. Colleges started to dangle scholarships in front of me. I grew up not far from Columbia, actually, 18 miles from Manhattan. I grew up in, a, in Westchester County, New York, and I won the Westchester County Diving Championships three times, and then colleges started to take a look at me, and they'd say, hey, Bill, you're a great low board diver, but tell us about your high board list of dives, and I didn't have a high board list of dives, so I had a coach who nudged me out into discomfort, helped me get a, a three-meter diving list. I got a full scholarship to college, but I learned a lot about the importance of walking through your fear and with your fear. And that was the instigation of really everything for me. It, it not only gave me my college education, a really fulfilling springboard diving career, but it gave me my career now because it's all about courage, is being fearful and doing the thing you're afraid of. And now you're a chief encouragement officer at Giant Leap Consulting. Was the high dive your first giant leap? Is that what you consider to be your first giant leap? You know, I've taken a lot of them uh, in the course of my life now. It was the most notable, but we all take a bunch of giant leaps. But certainly the first high dive I ever took, which was actually down at Six Flags over Texas, uh, and that was about an 80-foot high dive in front of 2,000 people. And that getting off that perch, that one foot by one foot perch, 80 feet in the air, and just making that single step after you have practiced your way up the ladder through the modulation of comfort and discomfort. It became my first giant leap. But, 
you know, going into the workforce, becoming a leader of a team and ultimately starting my business some 20 years ago, that was a giant leap. And now my business is dedicated to helping people like you take whatever giant leap that you're facing, because those are the redeeming moments. Those are the dr dramatic moments in life when you're facing something you're afraid of, but that you want at the same time. And, and that's what, uh, for me, uh, you know, is, is what a giant leap is all about is that courageous moment when you're at the edge of fear, but you've got the skills to do something, but your mind is getting in the way because of the fear blockage. Yeah, I mean, I think this is fascinating. Um, and, and how do you know when it is the time to make the giant leap? Are there any signs that, you know, we can look out for to tell us? That's a really good question. You know, it, it's about that. Part of it is that intuition and listening deeply to that deep inner voice that's inside of you, that something's not right, that you're incongruent between your values that you say are important and the life that you're living. And you start, it starts gnawing at you and you could subdue it and you can try to escape it and distract it. But that noise is going to go deeper if you ignore it. And it's kind of like pushing a beach ball underwater. It's going to pop up somewhere in your life later on. So, so we have to sort of heed that deep intuition, uh, intuition of should I be taking some sort of a right risk right now, a giant leap, or should I be playing it safe? The problem with inaction and playing it safe is that it's like a slow gas in a room. It's it, You can't see the danger, right? But over time, it starts lulling you into complacency. And so, so sometimes taking the right risk is taking the action, even though you're afraid, um, because you can, the gnawing sense that something is disruptive, disturbed inside of you. And the only way to reconcile it is through a courage experience. Yeah. So now I'm wondering what we might learn from your own experience in making the transition from a professional high diver to a chief encouragement officer. Well, I, I got put into a leadership role at a young age when I was leading the diving team. And one of the divers told me that I sucked as a leader. <laughs> and and that really, you know, that was like an in-your-face moment where I got a, a blast of somebody else's courage right at me, and I didn't like it, right? I It rattled me, but I, I thought about it, and I knew he was right. I wasn't a good leader. So I started reading books on leadership, and I got interested. I got better as a leader through reading books about leadership and then getting coaching from leaders that I admired. And then I decided to go to graduate school, studied leadership, and then as I came out and got into the workforce – and I started getting into executive coaching, doing team building, doing leadership development programs. I recognize that there's a place for courage, that, that people are often facing fear in the workplace, in their own careers, or by launching some big initiative in a company that's giving the company fear itself. And so it, it made me recognize that there's a need for courage building. As much as there's a need for career development, as much as there's a need for team building, there's a need to put courage inside of people to help them do the hard things at work. And so, you know, I call myself a chief encouragement officer for that reason. And I think that, you know, it's really a role that any leader, any careerist needs to also adopt and give themselves Yeah, I love that. I think it's something that many of us can relate to. How would you define courage? I'll tell you, I would say that, you know, the place I would start is that courage is fearful. How about that? We think of courage as being fearless. Like we'll see a, a bumper sticker on a truck and it'll be like, no fear. Uh-uh, that ain't courage. Courage is fearful. When you are in a courageous moment, your knees are knocking, 
your teeth are chattering, you've got cotton mouth, uh, your stomach is riding with teeming butterflies. When you're in a courageous moment, you are full of fear. And here's the distinction, and here's what makes it courage. Instead of running away, instead of being paralyzed, you carry the fear with you into the experience that is causing the fear to be instigated in the first place. In other words, courage is fearful, but it acts despite the fact that it is afraid. And and are there any is there anything that leaders in your life have done to build that sense of courage that was particularly impactful and made a difference in the path that unfolded before you? I can think of a couple of things. First of all, that you know, you find courage in discomfort. And so leaders need to bring discomfort to people. And I don't mean it in a fear-stoking way, but I mean it in a way that nudges them out into their discomfort zone because that's where you grow, learn, develop, progress. You don't progress in a zone of comfort. So there have been leaders that have absolutely pushed, pushed me out into my discomfort zone. But I can think of one leader in particular when I was at Accenture and I was there for six years in their change management and human performance practice. And I worked for a guy named Heinz Brannan. And and I was moving into the executive coaching role. It was the first full-time internal executive coach they had ever had at Accenture. And I remember saying to my boss, I'm like, you know, okay, I'm, I'm excited about this opportunity. Thanks for giving me the shot. So when do I start coaching the middle managers? And he said, Bill, I, I don't want you to coach the middle managers. I'm like, well, I thought that I'm moving into the coaching role. He said, you are, but you're going to be coaching associate partners and partners. And I said, but I'm a middle manager. I've, I've never been in the role that they're in. They all outrank me. They all have a lot more leadership experience than me. And he said the only thing that he could have said that got through to me that day to be willing to move into my discomfort zone to coach people who outranked me. He said, Bill, you coach me all the time. And, and it was, and he was the most senior guy, right? He was the managing partner. And he, in other words, sometimes you have to give people permission and reframe something to help them see something that they're not able to see that's self-evident right in front of them. So he gave me permission to move into my discomfort, to experience my courage, to do something he knew that I was fully capable of doing, but I, I had a lot of fear of doing it. That sounds like a great leader. You're fortunate to have, you know, when you started out talking about leaders need to bring discomfort to their people, I had to laugh because it sounds like you've been talking to my managers, my leaders and and professors here at Columbia. Uh, that definitely is it resonates. You recently published a new book, Leadership Two Words at a Time, and you say leadership can be difficult. You know, but you propose that by taking leadership, a single two-word concept at a time, the burdens of leadership get lighter and the act of leading becomes gratifying and even joyous. Um, I love the book. I love the very digestible two-word principles. You know, there are a few that resonated with me right away. What led you to write this book? I've done a lot of executive coaching over the years. Like I've, I've put in my 10,000 hours, right? And... I've noticed that when, when a coachee in front of me is twined up about something or they're really frustrated or they've got something going on for them, if I can get them to narrow it and I can say, look, in the, in the fewest amount of words, what's the thing you need to take action on? What's the thing you need to do? And this came to me from I was working with a 
uh, an associate partner who wanted to become partner at Accenture. And he was like giving off this energy vibe that was really intense. And the partners were like, dude, we don't want this guy to be a partner here. He's like, he's like he wants it too desperately. Can you do some coaching with this guy? And so in coaching him, I said to the guy's name was Steve. I said, Steve, what do you think? If we could just clarify to get to partner, what is it that you don't have that you think you're going to need to get? And he said, I think I'm going to need calm confidence. And it was like, bing, for him and, and for me too, because I was, it was illuminating. It was like, it's exactly what you need. So now let's work on calm confidence. And then he'd get ready to go to a meeting. He's like, hey, I'm going to the meeting with the big boys. I need some CC, right? And we'd talk about the CC that he was going to bring that be calm confidence. And so what I found over time, even you know today in my coaching work, if they narrow it into like two words, they're much more likely to take action on the item than if they're thinking about all the different things that they need to do to remedy this situation. If they could just get it focused on the two things. And so I decided to codify that. And, I, and it took me about 10 years, by the way, to codify these two-word lessons that I think are most essential for a person to not just become a leader, but to stay a leader. In the book, you also talk about the concept of leadership fitness. Can you talk more about that? So the book is divided into three big sections. You've got to lead yourself, you got to lead others, and you got to lead work. Leading yourself is about personal discipline, self-evaluation, self-care, self-reflection, self-discipline, self-composure. Uh, and you got to be able to be a good leader of yourself. It's the first area of leadership fitness. The second is you got to lead people, and that's different than leading yourself. You've got to treat them well. You've got to clarify the career path in front of them. You have to involve them in decision-making. You have to engage their full attention, presence, gifts, and leading people. Second area of leadership, fitness. The third area is, all right, you lead yourself and you lead people so that you can get work done. You've got to lead work, and that's essential for getting results, being business-minded, understanding the levers that make and save money uh, and sometimes waste money, and understanding how to make business happen and get results. So leading yourself, leading others, leading work collectively. If you would pay attention to those three two-word concepts, if you do each one of them pretty well, you're likely to be a very fit leader who's fit to lead. You can't be weak in any of them if you expect to be a fully fit leader. Was there any point in your career where you felt like you struggled with, you know, one area of the, these types of leadership more than others? Does anything stand out to you? Initially, and it's probably not uncommon for people like coming right out of graduate school or coming out of undergraduate school or just getting into the workforce and moving into their first leadership role, is that business itself can be really intimidating. I remember the first time I heard a bunch of executives in a room talking about the word EBITDA which is, you know, is a financial uh, phrase. And, and I didn't know what they were talking about. I, and I was so intimidated by that. And you can be around people who've got more seasoning, got more experience, know the language in your workforce, and it can be intimidating. I think that what I really value about my, the time I spent at Accenture is that it helped me develop business-mindedness. So leading work for me was the deficiency, and spending six years at Accenture really kind of helped beef that up. Oh, I love this example of um, of EBITDA too, because I think we've all been in a situation at some point where we don't know what something means. Um, and and so, do you have advice on how to react, or how you know what do we do in those situations? 
you, the first thing I would do leaving the room is get, get with your boss really quick, right? And say, hey, boss, you know, I, I got to tell you, I, I didn't know what that meant. Can you help illuminate that for me, right? And then, you know, or go do a, a search with your browser. Uh, don't let it slide. In other words, you can be intimidated. Remember, we said courage is fearful. It's okay to have that anxiety. It's, a, it's okay to feel like a dunce for a little second, to be uncomfortable. Let that discomfort be the instigator to move you in to leaning towards it and saying, okay, what do I got to do to figure this out? So I, So that feeling of inadequacy in me goes away. And that means to not run from it, but engage with it. Do you have a, a favorite two word uh, principle that showed up in the book? For me, it's cultivate composure. It's the thing that I reconnected with during the pandemic experience when I like so many other people, right? Like I had to be home a lot. And at first it made me gigantically uncomfortable because my business is nomadic. I go out and I work with clients all the time uh, and travel and such. And so now I was confined. And at first it freaked me out. And after a while though, I started to reconnect with spiritual literature that used to fortify me, uh, philosophical literature that I really enjoy and value. And, and I, I connected with my quiet moment every day. And so now, and in fact today, I start the first five minutes of my day in silence so that I tune up my senses. Like, what am I hearing outside? What does the temperature feel like? What am I seeing? And I, and I in, just in quiet, and then I move to reading a, a paragraph, in my case of Stoic literature from Stoicism, you know, a couple of thousand years ago, and a simple paragraph and then a reflection piece. It's a uh, it's called The Daily Stoic by Riley, uh, Ryan Holiday that I, you know, have been reading for the last couple of years. And it puts me in a centered space. And I think cultivating composure is you're going to be in a crazy world. Let's Let's face it, right, Nicole? Like... We are in an insane world right now. We're certainly in an insane United States. And, and I don't need to be caught up in that insanity. I, can, I, can, I live in it, but I can be composed within it. And getting centered with your day, this is good for leadership. It's good for careerists. It's good for human beings. Starting your day with five minutes of silence. I would wish that to the world. It's done wonders for me. I'm grateful to have also learned that lesson. And I, if, you know, even on the busiest of days, I make the, uh, you know, at least 10, 5, 10, 15 minutes to, to get centered and, and it's made a profound difference. So, I, you know, thank you for sharing that. You know, maybe you answered my, my next question. Uh, do you have any advice for Columbia students on how they can be successful in, in pursuing their passions as it relates to their career? The first is going to be super obvious. I'm almost embarrassed to say it. Learn, right? Like there you are, you're at Columbia right now. I mean, you're there for learning and, and higher learning and and soak all of that up. It's going to go really fast. Learn not just from your classes, not just from the textbooks, but from the network of people you're fortunate to be able to go through this experience with. Have sidebar conversations with professors and such. Uh, extend the learning from, from just the classroom, but soak it up. The second thing I would say is value the ordeal. It should be hard. I know it's hard, but it should be because it's going to be that much more satisfying when you have done it and it has been hard than if it was a gimme and if it was easy. There's something wonderful and beautiful about earning it, earning it, and you earn it by going through the ordeal. And then the third thing I would say is be courageous. Be courageous. The world needs your full engagement. It needs the full application of your talents and gifts. 
the world needs you to help make it a better place because it is insane right now. So we need the best of you, and that means you're going to have to confront fearful and challenging moments. Bring your courage into each day. I'm going to build off of this. What about when it comes to the job search and your career? So sort of connecting what's being learned and then going out into the real world. Where are those areas where we can bring courage? Look it. You and I, Nicole, are talking. You're talking to a guy that used to wear a Speedo to work. I, I mean, I like had – what was my experience, right? Like I was, I was jumping off 100-foot platforms. What experience was that? Take the experience that you have that's uniquely yours, your unique story. Don't be intimidated by what the world wants you to have as you move into the workplace because some of you are going to feel intimidated like, I don't have any experience. They're never going to give me a job. My resume isn't full enough. Don't just disregard all that. What is the experience you have? And then your job is translate it for work. In my case, I was able to say, look, I know I don't have a big resume. I used to work at amusement parks, diving off 100-foot platforms. But I did go to graduate school. I did do a thesis. And I know how to take a risk because I stood at the edge of one 1,500 times when I was afraid. And I, and I would tell that to the person who I was in my career conversation with. So you've got to take your own experience, convert it. Don't be, don't, uh, you know, justify your inadequacies. Think about your own life narrative and how it can actually be brought to bear to add value in whatever job that you're pursuing. Great advice. Bill, where can people connect with you? Best way to connect with me is go to couragebuilding.com. That'll take you to my company, Giant Leap Consulting. There's all sorts of links and clicks and stuff. You can get uh, my email address there and such. But the best way to do it would be go to couragebuilding.com. Hey, Nicole, let me say how gratifying it is to have the opportunity to speak with you today and with Columbia University. It's such an impressive place. The people that are there right now should be proud of themselves for going through the experience they're going through. And you too. Bill, thank you so much. It has been so wonderful to talk with you and I really appreciate you you being here. Likewise, thanks so much. Thank you for listening to Rising to the Top, Lessons in Leadership. For more episodes, subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. To get more information and tips on how you can advance your career, visit Columbia University's Career Design Lab at careerdesignlab.sps.columbia.edu.